listening to The Martial Brain, the podcast that explores the intersection between the martial arts, science, critical thinking, skepticism, and that wacky organ that floats inside our skulls in a pool of cerebral spinal fluid, making life unpredictably inspiring, infuriating, and sometimes just batshit crazy. I'm Jeff Westfall for The Martial Brain. The Forgotten War The Philippines, the USA, War, Colonialism, and the Martial Arts Part 12 So in case you haven't noticed, this miniseries on the Philippine-American War has already become longer than any other I've done, and I've still got a few more to go at least. Now, I've had a lot of influences in my martial arts career. I spent a significant amount of training time under a lot of very high-level and extremely able martial arts instructors. I loved all of them, and I think of each and every one as an older brother or sister, even the several who are considerably younger, chronologically, than me. But one and only one of them has been a father figure to me. Daniel Arca Inosanto. But that doesn't actually single me out as much as it might sound. You see, I personally know more than a hundred martial artists who feel the same way about him. And there are several hundred more that I don't know well but have met that do as well. No matter what you call him, Sifu, Ajarn, Tuhon, Guro, Sensei, Professor, Mr. Inosanto has touched so many lives that I did a four-part podcast about it called one or two degrees of Dan Inosanto several years back. And of all the 220-some-odd episodes I've done so far, those four are by far the most popular. One of the coolest things about Mr. Inosanto is that he teaches you little bits of history, geography, and cultural anthropology, while simultaneously also teaching you some of the most sophisticated drills, techniques, and concepts that exist for developing a very high level of skill at handling violence. I've had many fascinating discussions with him over dinner about history, since he's one of the few people I know who is as nerdy about it as I am. I've told him many times that someone needs to write a really good book about the Philippine-American War. This attempt, by me, at what is becoming an audiobook is aimed less at most of you listeners and much more directly at Mr. Inosanto. Once it's done, I largely consider it a gift to him. You guys are just listening in, although I do hope you are enjoying it. Anyway, back to the story. I'm going to start by telling you about a guy named Frederick Funston. Funston was born in Ohio at the end of the Civil War. When he was two, his family moved to Kansas, where his personality was formed. By the time he had grown up, he had only made it to five foot four and 120 pounds. He applied for admittance into West Point. They took one look at his diminutive stature and told him to hit the road. He attended the University of Kansas for a few years, but never graduated. He spent some time working the railroads, and then as a journalist writing for local newspapers. He worked for a while as a coffee picker in Central America, and then got a sweet gig as a botanist and special agent of the United States Department of Agriculture. 
His job was to travel to exotic places like the Badlands of the Dakotas, Death Valley, or Alaska and perform botanical surveys. And then his story intersects ours. You see, he was among the first Americans to get fired up about the way that Spain was conducting its war against Cuban rebels. He got so fired up that well before the Spanish-American War began, he went and joined the Cuban Revolutionary Army. Cuba Libre was not as picky about height as was the United States Military Academy. Now, he enlisted as an artillery officer, despite having absolutely zero experience in that field. While still in Kansas, he got his hands on a small caliber artillery piece, don't ask me where, some instructional literature on the basics of artillery, and then squirreled himself away in an attic with them for several weeks. Once he emerged, he had apparently learned enough to convince the Cubans, once they had smuggled him onto their island, that he knew what he was doing, and he got his commission. He saw a lot of action, fighting in four major battles and a number of smaller ones. He got wounded more than a couple of times, once through both lungs, and received perhaps his worst injury when a horse fell on him, leaving him with a limp for the rest of his life. All of this gained him a promotion to lieutenant colonel, and a fine working knowledge of the strategy, tactics, and logistics of guerrilla warfare. But then he came down with malaria, and his 120 pounds soon became 95. The grateful Cubans encouraged him to go back to Kansas and get better. He tried to do just that, but was captured by the Spanish. But apparently, because they felt sorry for his puny, malaria-riddled, limping American ass, they elected not to execute him, or even imprison him. Instead, they released him and allowed him to escape back to America. He returned to Kansas and got to convalescing and also trying to round up some volunteers to do just what he had done and join the Cuban Revolution. But then the USS Maine blew up in Havana Harbor and changed everybody's plans. In short order, Funston organized the 20th Kansas Volunteer Infantry under his command. Before being deployed overseas, he was ordered to report to Tampa, Florida. Now remember that Tampa was the point of embarkation for American forces going to Cuba. But Funston was not going to Cuba. Instead, he was there to debrief our old friend, General Shafter. Shafter was in command of the expedition to Cuba and wanted to pick the brain of an American who had been there. As it turns out, although Shafter listened, he finally rejected most of what Funston told him. You see, in his eyes, Funston was not a legitimate professional military man. Shafter considered him, along with Teddy Roosevelt, to be an amateur, a guy who looked upon war as just another adventure rather than a profession. While I might agree with Shafter's opinion of Roosevelt, as I finish this story, I think you might agree that Funston belongs in a different class. Shafter had good friends back in Washington, so maybe he had something to do with the fact that Funston and the 20th Kansas Volunteers were not sent to Cuba, but instead to the Philippines. In any case, by the time they got there, the war with Spain was over. Once fighting did break out between the Filipinos and the Americans, Funston was in it with his Kansas boys from day one. In every engagement they were involved in, the 20th Kansas Volunteers were in the forefront, fighting aggressively and emitting loud Kansas Jayhawk war cries, and Colonel Funston was always in the forefront of the Kansans. In April 1899, he 
and I don't know how many of his men, swam across the Bagbag River at a place called Kalumpit to capture a seemingly impregnable Filipino-held position. That got him promoted to Brigadier General and won him the Congressional Medal of Honor. In early 1901, he was in command of a military department in northern Luzon, where he received word that his troops had captured some of President Aguinaldo's military couriers. They had been interrogated and had admitted that Aguinaldo had gone to ground in the mountain village of Palanan. The prisoners warned the Americans it probably wouldn't be possible to capture the Filipino president. All the ways in were carefully watched, and if any hint of trouble arose, Aguinaldo would once again do what he had done already so many times before. Leave just in the nick of time. So General Funston received this news, along with the physical dispatches that the couriers had been carrying. He discovered, unfortunately, that the dispatches were encoded. So you know what Frederick Funston, who never graduated from college and was rejected by West Point, did? He brewed up a pot of coffee, gathered up his two smartest aides, and together they pulled an all-nighter, decoding the dispatches before morning. You know, like you do. It turns out that the only important dispatch was a written request from the Filipino president asking a cousin to send him 400 badly needed soldiers. That started the germ of an idea in Funston's head. Now before I tell you about his big idea, I have to tell you about a region in the Philippines called Pampanga and its people called Kapampangans. They were among the earliest ethnic groups in the Philippines to have allied themselves with the Spaniards. They fought alongside the Spaniards when the Dutch attempted to seize the Philippines from Spain. They achieved a highly favored status with the Spanish military and were prized as interpreters, marines, scouts, and soldiers. A particular town in this region was called Macabebe, and its people, Macabebes. A unit of Macabebes fighting for Spain had defended the last Spanish garrison against other Filipinos only a few years before. It seems that this ethnic group had transferred its allegiance to the Americans once the Spanish left. A particularly noteworthy military unit of them came to be called the Macabebe Scouts. Now, President Aguinaldo was of the Tagalog ethnic group, and there was a long-standing animosity between the Kapampangan and the Tagalog. So General Funston shared his plan with the Macabebe Scouts. Funston, four other Americans, and a renegade Spaniard named Lazaro Segovia would pose as prisoners of war in the custody of a group of Macabebe scouts in captured rebel uniforms. They would march right up to Aguinaldo's headquarters and present themselves as the requested reinforcements from the president's cousin. Hijinks would ensue. General Funston presented his plan to the overall American commander in the Philippines, General Arthur MacArthur. MacArthur called it a desperate plan and said that he feared he would never see Funston again. But the opportunity to capture Aguinaldo was too valuable to waste. He gave his assent to the plan. Funston and his detachment were soon transported by boat to a point about a hundred miles south of their target. Throughout the trip, Funston sent occasional forged messages to President Aguinaldo informing him that his reinforcements were on the way. It rained constantly as they struggled north. They had to hack their way through jungle most of the way, and in a bit of uncharacteristically poor planning, they failed to bring enough food. By the time they reached a point ten miles short of their destination, they were malnourished, 
reduced to eating snails and limpets. It was there that they received a communication from Aguinaldo, instructing them to keep coming, but to not bring the prisoners into the president's presence. That threw a monkey wrench into the plan. It would mean that Funston could not be present for its most important part. He decided to let the plan unfold anyway and sent his men along, accompanied by Lazaro Segovia. Funston followed closely behind with the other Americans, almost too closely as it turned out, because they had to jump into the bushes to avoid being seen when a unit of insurrectos showed up to meet the party. The Maccabees played their role beautifully, calmly marching directly into Palanan, where they were received with great ceremony and military honors. Segovia and the Maccabebe who was playing the part of the commander were ushered into the presidential hut, and by all accounts, a pleasant interval was spent by all. Eventually, Segovia excused himself and stepped outside, giving the awaited signal. The Maccabebe scouts immediately began to attack. President Aguinaldo, on hearing the gunfire, mistakenly assumed that it was his soldiers firing off shots to salute the welcomed reinforcements. He went to the window and began yelling at them to quit wasting ammunition. Segovia went back into the hut, pistol drawn, and announced to the president that he was his prisoner. Funston's plan had worked to perfection. Without its president and commanding general, the Philippine independence movement must surely now be short-lived. Well, I'll tell you about that next time. Anyway, that's what I think. But I could be wrong. Let me know what you think, and check out old episodes of the Martial Brain Podcast at my website, rpmartialarts.com. I'm Jeff Westfall for the Martial Brain. The Martial Brain is produced by Raging Squirrel Productions in association with the Rising Phoenix Martial Arts Academy. If you like the podcast and would like to help it grow, go to iTunes or Stitcher and give it an honest rating and review. Contact me with questions about the Martial Brain or about the Rising Phoenix Academy at my website, rpmartialarts.com. <laughs>